And we're finally live. Wow, that was a slow one today. Sometimes it doesn't take that long. But uh, hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans uh, and fantasy fans, we don't want to forget anybody. Time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. And normally I'd say, without further ado, I'd get the guests to introduce themselves. But before we do that, we got a little bit of housekeeping. So as you've noticed lately, Doc's been a little bit absent, and so has Nick. So Nick, as you know, works for Border Patrol. They keep him really, really busy doing Border Patrol things, you know, chasing unicorns and the like. But uh, so we're trying to do more episodes where we can get him on, which requires some creativity and flexibility on our part. And Doc is in the crazy build-up time for the Dragon. Hard to, uh, hard to think Dragon Con is getting closer, but she's crazy busy with that. So for a little bit, it'll be just me. We didn't really fire her, I promise. It's just something I say because it makes her feel special. You know how it is, people. Anyway, so uh, now that we got that out of the way, I'm going to let my guest, Mr. Brandon Ingram, uh, introduce himself. So can you please tell the listeners and viewers who you are? Yeah, uh, I'm Brandon Ingram. I'm a uh comic writer writer editor uh i make comics i guess is the best way to put it um and and yeah my my handles right there disney comics uh th that's my publishing line that i i make my comics through is through my self name created disney comics okay so how'd you come up with disney comics as your company name uh, ultimately it started from some of the first comics I made, which is an anthology horror series called Disney Avenue. And that's ultimately what came first, the name for that, like trying to think, cause it, it, it's, that will eventually see the light of day, but it, it has twilight zone elements as well as it's not typical horror. So I didn't want to call it like scary avenue or terror avenue or anything like that uh disney like like the more unsettling uh, uh disturbed is is like a better explanation for it because there's there's some typical horror stuff like like blood and gore and stuff but there's also a decent bit of psychological horror um so in all that it took me like four hours to finally think of a name for that series and Disney Avenue came and then I had to think of a publishing line to make that comic with and make my future comics with and within like 15 minutes I pulled the Disney Avenue thing and just did Disney comics uh, it's kind of like a DC and detective comics type thing where you had detective comics and they're like yeah let's just name the company that that those basically how Disney comics came about. That's kind of cool. It's one of those things where once you come up with something you really, really like, it's like, that is so cool. But while you're doing it and it takes you five days and it's like, Oh my God, I want to shoot myself. Not really. Yeah. If you're listening oh, to YouTube yeah. sensors. It's a joke. Um, <laughs> but then you look back on it and it's like, how did it take so long? That's such an awesome name. We had yeah. that with sci-fi shenanigans, which was our precursor to the blasters and blades. Cause it just sort of rolls off the tongue. Yeah, Blasters yeah. and Blades took us a lot more time because uh, we, we basically had the idea you wanted something that represented fantasy, something that represented sci-fi. Uh, we came up with a couple that got a cease and desist letters. Apparently, we treaded on some Hasbro games IP that we didn't know existed, oh, but wow. they're apparently trying to bring back. So we got some really nice conversations with some really forceful lawyers. They can do that. 
So it's one of those things like I'm always interested in how you come up with that kind of stuff because sometimes yeah. there's always an entertaining story there. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's, it's... If you if you're wondering, dear listener, lawyers are no fun. Nobody wins when you have to deal with lawyers. Just oh. find that out. So, all right, the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. So Brandon actually reached out to me on, I think it was either Instagram or, or um, it was either Instagram or Twitter. I don't remember. Um, yeah. So that begs the question. Yeah. I think it was Instagram. So how did you find us? Uh, ultimately through uh, Marvin Wynn. Uh, oh, okay. You guys have had recently. Um, He's a nice guy. I like him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Marvin's awesome. I've, I've been following uh, his work with the edge and stuff. And, and that, that basically led me, led me to here. Okay. Well, we are glad you are here. Marvin Thank is you. good people. And the edge is an entertaining comics. Have you actually read it? Uh, I have not yet. I, I've heard when I got in like the indie, like making indie comic scene, like a year ago, it was right after, uh, one of his Kickstarters or one of his projects had already happened. So I was like, dang it, I missed it. And then right now he has the trade going on for the edge. I was like, yes, I can finally read it. So I backed that. So I'm looking forward to uh, whenever that Kickstarter is over, like finally diving into this thing that I've like heard about because because I've followed like the stuff he's been doing the past year. Uh, I'm looking forward to finally reading that. Okay. Well, now, because this is the Blasters and Blades podcast, we can't let you go without the religion question. So, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Okay, so... Which one... Is your favorite? Is my favorite? It's been a while since I've seen Firefly, but ultimately, I think I enjoyed that one the most. Yeah. Uh, I, I really loved Firefly because I remember trying to get my sister into it. I was trying to get my my friend into it after I finished watching it. Um, it, it was to no avail. They they didn't do it. But um, I probably have to say Firefly. I like half of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and, and not saying like any of it's really bad i don't really think there's any other than like episode nine i I did not like episode nine at all um but there's none that's really bad but like there's a lot that's just like okay but there is some that's like really good um so yeah i'd probably have to say firefly and eventually i'm sorry listeners i haven't watched that much star trek i've only watched like uh a few episodes of next generation Eventually, I will get into Star Trek because from all the stuff I've heard, it sounds more interesting to me than Star Wars. It's just me. I'm sorry. Where's that kick button? All right. So, uh, <laughs> and because we're polytheistic over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time? I'll probably have to say Lord of the Rings because I never finished Game of Thrones. I liked what I saw. Um, but kind of what like just kept me from finishing it was everything I've heard about season eight. Um, it just hasn't really encouraged me to continue on. 
Um, oh, you were answering for the movie. I was gonna say, uh, well, the trick—that's a trick question. Nobody's finished Game of Thrones because he hasn't finished writing it. But ah, <laughs> uh, true, true. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, listener. I'm, oh. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a, a normie. <laughs> I only have seen the movies. I'm sure. I'm sure the books are better, but. I actually, we pick the properties we do partly because they're iconic, but part of what makes them iconic is they exist in so many mediums. So oh, yeah, the, yeah. more likely that the the guests might have consumed them in some way. So there was yeah. no wrong answer with that, jokes aside. But we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast love both the fantastical and the scientific. So which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, probably sci-fi. I've kind of always loved sci-fi uh i i think it wasn't till like maybe late high school that i got more into fantasy um but but sci-fi has kind of always been there and it's kind of one like my my go-to genres for like reading or or watching it might not be the number one but that that's where i've got some of my favorite books or comic books like Jeff Lemire's Descender to me is like one of the best sci-fi comics out there. It, it, it's a space opera. If you like star Wars or, or anything sci-fi Descender is like one of the best sci-fi comics out there. Um, he also wrote a book called sentient that, that is about this, this mothership where like, this isn't really a spoiler. This is all within issue one. It's a six issue series. All the adults on the ship die, and now it's just the children, and they're all like twelve and under, and it's this AI, like Hal, basically. It's this AI that has to kind of take care of them, and it's very interesting. Um, that's written by the same guy that did Descender, so I guess he's just really good at sci-fi, even though he hasn't <laughs> written that much more sci-fi than that. He's more of a writing about family and stuff, which he's really good at. Okay, I might have took that out. So, what was your first memory of engaging in in science fiction? Um, probably, in all honesty, probably my it was a mentor of mine at the time showing me Star Wars. Like, like I do like a decent bit of Star Wars, um, and he showed me uh, episodes four through six, or or however you want to say it. And it was around the time that uh, Revenge of the Sith came out and me, him, and like a few other people went to go see Revenge of the Sith. And it was pretty awesome. I hadn't seen Phantom Menace or Attack the Clones when I saw it though, but it it wasn't too bad even for like a six or seven year old me. It was like, yeah, yeah. I saw four through six. I can kind of see like, yeah, that's that guy. That's that guy. So it wasn't too bad. Okay. So how did your love of, uh, what is it you love about speculative fiction as a genre? So that's the umbrella term for sci-fi, fantasy, horror, all the things that's not nonfiction. So what is it about speculative fiction that you love? Uh, I guess uh, somewhat freedom of storytelling. Um, it's where I, I love nonfiction uh when it comes to watching movies i love documentaries and different stuff but just the freedom of creativity um whether it's in a book or it's it's in a movie 
like like some of there, there's some stuff like if you're going with comics that whether it's a horror book or or just insane indie titles that like play with the comic genre or, or the comic media i should say to where there's no way you could adapt that into something else like a movie or anything like that and then kind of the flip side like of that amazing creativity there's a movie that came out recently everything everywhere all at once it is insane it is one of the most creative movies i've seen in years like like i love don't get me wrong i'm a marvel guy or, or i love all bits I, I don't entirely like the dc movies lately but i like marvel stuff but it's nothing nothing's really amazing to me with marvel but everything everywhere all at once when that came out i was like holy crap this is what filmmaking is like just ball to the wall creativity and insaneness that still has an amazing plot structure and, and amazing themes and, and really makes you think rather than yeah that was a nice movie all right i won't think about this in like an hour okay so we've talked about in the pre-show when we were getting things ready that basically, you know, we view sort of comic books as, as, you know, same thing as a regular book. I mean, it's obviously pictures instead of words for some of the descriptions, but but you're still telling a story. So how did your love of speculative fiction as an umbrella genre transition into you writing stories in this space? Uh, it was kind of just the amount of influences I've had through the years of, of loving comics, of loving movies is kind of a meld of all of those because when it came to me finally writing my own stories and, and eventually making them comics and stuff it came from both comics but also some movie stuff like like kevin smith like like his his love for movies and and making movies and not all of his movies are great but if is encouraging for for that indie creator and then like seeing someone like quentin tarantino who like makes amazing movies and isn't held to uh, uh the studio to like constantly change stuff or, or constantly make it what they want and so kind of that freedom of that and seeing people like kevin smith just be creative on super low budgets and stuff led me to write screenplays, which eventually led me to start writing comics um, and, and making comics and producing comics that is under my own terms, because these aren't the comics I'm making currently aren't a part of some other publisher or whatever. I make it exactly how I want it. And, and so there's influence from those other sources that, that I mentioned earlier. Okay. So you came at this through movies, which is why we don't like, we don't dismiss that as a part of the nerddom. Like some people in the sort of bookish community can do, because I don't really care how you get in the door. If you find the library, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So uh, many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So are there any specific formidable moments that you think shape the way you uh, tell stories through comics? Such as like in my life, like things that have encouraged me. Is that, is that just anything mean? that's anything about your, your, you know, life up to when you started writing that you think shaped the way you tell stories for, for instance, for, for the three of us that are the normally here for the co-hosts, we're all veterans and the military had a large part of how we, you know, create content. Um, for some people it might be, I don't know, they backpacked across the Andes or something, right? Like there's things in our life that we think are formidable enough that they shape who we are and, and the kind of content we create. Not everyone has something as, big as you know hiking the andes i would die if i tried it but um right like you know is there anything you feel like that does that for you um it isn't entirely like helped i guess somewhat I, I'll, I'll tell this and and you can be the deciding factor on it i wrote some stuff before like the gallows man for example i wrote some stuff like horror short stories um, as well as mostly short stories. And I, this was when I was just writing screenplays, nothing over like 40 or 50 pages. Um, and at the time I was in the nursing program. Um, oh. I was in nursing and I was like two semesters away from graduating. Like I was in the program, I was, I was doing clinicals, going to hospitals and nursing homes and stuff. And for like a year, I just was felt completely drained, kind of empty because I went into nursing for the wrong reasons. Um, there's nothing wrong with nursing. I, I, I commend all nurses out there. The, what they have to do uh, is just amazing uh, for, for the, ultimately they should get paid more in, in my opinion. But uh, the reason I went into nursing was for it's a steady job. What I mean by that is you're always needed. Like there's, there's, you will get hired anywhere as a nurse, basically. There was that. And then there was also, it makes a decent amount of money, nothing crazy, but a pretty good steady income. And that was really the only reasons I went into nursing was for those reasons. I didn't have a passion for nursing. Um, and so for a year, it was just that constant thinking of like, I, I don't, I don't share the same passion as, as all my classmates, as, as all the, the fellow nurses I, I'm working with and stuff. And eventually I withdrew from the nursing program. And this is before I had like a, a backup plan. What I mean by that is like, what else should I major in? If, if I major in anything, like, like, am I just done with college? I didn't know at that time. And I withdrew from that and I was just like, I just didn't know what to do. And at the time I was still writing and now I just had a little bit more time to write. And I felt like such a quitter at the time for, for essentially quitting nursing. And I was like, I need to do something big, a major challenge I haven't done to kind of help me get through this, help me cope through this and help me prove to myself that I'm not a quitter. And so that kind of led into the gallows man of, of 
I had never written a feature length script and that was my challenge. I was like, okay, to help me cope through this writing has helped me in the past with coping. I need to write a feature length script. I've never written one. I need to do it. And basically for one and a half to two months, that's what I did. Like I stayed on task. Like I don't do this now anymore, but I remember going to McDonald's like every other day and just using their Wi-Fi and just like people watching slash just like typing away for hours. And then within a month and a half or two months, I had the rough draft completely done. And it was just such a, such a, a emotion that came over me of like, I'm not a quitter. Like I, I did this. I, I, I did something I've never done before. Didn't think I could truly do. And I did it. And, and it just formed from there of my confidence in myself of writing kind of. Okay. That was a well thought out and, and good answer. And I think that qualifies. So let's transition to, from the writing side to talk about things from the fan angle. So have you gotten any cool fan art or had anybody cosplay your characters yet? Currently have a couple people who sent me some, some rough sketches they're doing of, uh, some of my characters like the gallows man. So probably in the next few days, uh, they might send me a, a finish, finish copy of that. I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to seeing some, some cosplay of some of these characters. It'll, it'll be interesting for some of them. So uh, if you decide to participate in it that way, dear listener with the cosplay, take some pictures and reach out to him through his newsletter and you can, uh, you can share it with the creator, which is always a fun thing to do if you're cosplaying to know that the people whose art you're creating from get a, a chance to look at it. Cause sometimes people cosplaying from the bigger properties, George Lucas will never look at your costume. But if you, if you start looking at some of the indie stuff, they will love you forever. Oh yeah. Oh, they yeah, might even sure. name their kids after you. I'm telling you it's a big deal. <laughs> at the very least, it'll stick with you. Um, right. Cause, cause like any, literally just someone like talking about, your your character or your project or whatever that sticks with you so so like literally seeing someone uh recreate it put it to to pin or 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 dress up as it is yeah it's going to stick with the creator for forever and it'll do the same for me like it'll be amazing so i've thought about that because i never really thought about costuming much beyond the kind of stuff kids do because um, you realize obviously they do costuming type stuff in hollywood but that's like whole nother level career profession, like whatever. But just as a run of a mill, you think, okay, throw a sheet over yourself and call yourself a ghost and move on, right? <laughs> um, or, or, or the prefab costumes people get. And I was talking with Doc about it because she goes to all the cons. She's like, no, it's a lot more than that, JR. So she started showing me some of the pictures of what people were doing. And I'm like, holy bejesus, that's intense. Like people oh, yeah. make actual functioning like nine foot tall uh, space Marines from Warhammer walking on stilts to do it. And the artistry is like, wow. So I, I, I'm, at this point, I, I'm more impressed with it. And I would have to say that that's almost an art in itself, the people that, that make those costumes. And it's amazing and, and to see. because I think about. Exactly. I've seen like uh, some documentaries about like cosplayers and, and the cosplay community and stuff. And it's just amazing to see like their love and, and their showing, their creative showing of that fandom. Um, 
it's amazing because you'll sometimes have those characters like like you'll see a million Spider-Men. Like nothing wrong with that. But what's even more unique or the stuff that stands out to me is the stuff that's like not that well known or or is is niche within niche basically. And you see that character and maybe you're the only person that like truly knows who that character is at that convention, but you see it. And if you see it, if you see someone and you recognize it and you realize, yeah, probably not a lot of people are going to recognize this. Let that person know, be like, whoa, dope. Uh, uh, whatever niche character you can think of be like, man, that's so cool because that's going to stick with them. Like they're going to remember that like, yes, yes, finally, someone got it. And it's going to be even more special because you two truly get it. You two are like like the nerds of that niche thing. And it's amazing to see that connection happen. I've actually changed a little bit how I do some of my writing because of the thinking about cosplayers. Like some of the, the trend in, in modern uh, fiction is very light on the description. The idea is the reader can fill all of the details in. We don't need to give them everything like Tolkien style where you describe every blade of grass, which right, I'm, right, I'm right. weird. I like I like all the descriptions as long as it's well done. Um, but not everyone does. But that means if you wanted to cosplay some of these books, like how do you do that? You don't know what they look like. You don't know what the uniforms look like. So I try to give enough details that people can sort of fill in the blank. Like not not overdo it obviously because not everyone's like me and wants all of that but i try to put in enough detail that people could cosplay it if they want to because i kind of secretly want them to yeah yeah <laughs> you don't have that really problem cool. with uh with with comics because you, you give them exactly what it looks oh, like yeah yeah exactly but, but, but with that with with yours that's really cool because you give them enough to like get a picture of, of what it looks like but what's really cool with that let's say there's more than one person that does cosplay as that character. They both kind of have their own interpretation on it. Yes. You gave them some details, but you didn't give like every single little, little like uh, pinning or, or whatever it is right. on the costume to where they're going to look kind of similar, but you're going to see some differences. And that's, what's really cool is seeing a little bit of their interpretation of what they read. Yeah, and that's why if you think that uh, it's something that we're talking a little bit about, Doc has been inundating me th with this stuff because she's prepping for this page-to-stage uh, costuming contest that they do at Dragon. So we're actually going to try to get some professional cosplayers on the show. Uh, and we've reached out to the 501st and whatever Star Trek's cosplay group is. And, man, those people are hard to pin down. But we're trying to get some of the cosplayers on because we just think – that it's, it'd be kind of fascinating. So yeah, it, awesome. it is definitely cool. So if you get your first one, you'll have to come back to the group and share it in the, uh, in the podcast Facebook group. So we can, oh, yeah, we can all sure. ooh and awe with you, but uh, <laughs> all right. So, so moving on, but to the fandom angle. So have you gotten any, uh, had to autograph anything yet? Not yet. Uh, technically. Yes. I should, I should rephrase that technically. Yes. Because I did a Kickstarter a year ago for issue one of my comic, the gals man. And there was a tier within that was basically if you spent $25 or more on any of the tiers, all of those tiers, the copies of the book were signed. Um, that's the same thing with like the current Kickstarter for issues one and two is like any of the tiers that are 25 or more, all of the books are signed. So I guess technically I have signed them. No one, 
truly asked for it, but I guess they kind of asked for it if they were willing to pay uh, uh, that extra little bit. But it wasn't just for the signature. There was a bunch of other bonuses within that. Okay. That counts. And uh, it's not too late, dear listener. If you if you want to get on that, you can support this Kickstarter. Links will be in the show notes. So have you ever spotted anybody out in the wild reading your, your comics? Um, friends. And I, I, I wonder counts. if... Exactly. And and I kind of wonder if I know one of them, one of them actually was just like genuinely reading it, didn't know I was going to pop in or anything. And I saw them reading it. And I was like, look like I'm reading this book. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, <laughs> that's it still was a really good friend, nice. So it still counts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was really nice. So the um, the what about the weirdest or funniest interaction with fans since you started writing? Um, there's been, uh, some comments here and there that are kind of funny when it comes to like some of, uh, some of the postings I do, like, like there's a lot of like corny or campy jokes within stuff like the gallows man. And some people will like in the comment section kind of, uh, play into that, make their own little corny joke or whatever. But, um, something that sticks out to me, not entirely that funny, Ultimately, it's really nice. I'd say it's the teeniest, tiniest bit weird, only because it's weird for me to think about. Because I got someone that DM'd me. He he's, he loves the the Gallows Man and the book I I've been doing. He messaged me maybe two months ago, basically being like, "Man, I loved issue one. I just finished it for the fifth time. The fifth time I've read issue one." And I loved it. I can't wait for issue two to come out. And I was just thinking what it's kind of weird for me is like, dang, you read it five times. Like, like that's close to the amount of times I have to read it when editing it. Like, like I get the book completely done and then I have to read it several times in editing it to make sure every little thing is done to where it was kind of, I mean, it was cool that he's read it five times and he loves it. That's amazing. But in my head, I'm like, by the sixth or seventh read of me editing this comic, I was just tired. (laughs) I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm finally done reading this. I can finally start working on issue two. Like, like not that I don't like my, my first issue. It was just one of those things where I had to read it so many times within like a week of editing. So. Okay, so the um, this is where we talk, dear listener, about everything Brandon Ingram has written. As his, um, have, well, first off, have you written things in um, traditional sort of book markets, or is everything you've done through Disney Comics? Everything that that's been uh, produced and published has been through Disney Comics. So, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your uh, of your body of work through this comic imprint? Yeah, so. As of the stuff that is currently out and available, uh, you have the Gallows Man series, which is going to be a four-issue miniseries, a comic miniseries, um, where it's basically satirical. It, 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 it's the best way to put it. It's set in the 1940s. It's set in this campy, satirically over-the-top world of superheroes. And you have this one superhero named the Gallows Man, which is a bit... Like, whoa, that's a superhero name. Um, him and his team 
they basically have to take out this Nazi threat that has infiltrated their city. And they have to take it out not only to save the city, but to avenge the gallows man's former mentor. Um, and the tone of the book, the best way to put it is take the 1960s Adam West Batman show and take like, like the fun campiness, I should say, take the fun campiness of that show and then take like Quentin Tarantino movie violence and just mesh those two together. And you basically get the gallows man. But so the gallows man four issue miniseries, there will likely be more like a sequel series or an anthology series to follow it. Um, other title I'm currently working on that will see the light of day fairly soon, probably by the end of the year is a horror anthology uh, comic that I've been working on called Disney Avenue. It's where Disney comics came about the name. Um, and like I kind of mentioned earlier, it's, it's not your typical horror uh i i grew up on and loved the classic twilight zone the rod serling stuff um amazing writing especially for such a short uh compact amount of time 22 minutes his stories most of the time were very well done um and so i take a lot of inspiration from that as well as a lot of psychological horror books or psychological movies I, I've seen over my life. And that's kind of the horror that you see within this anthology series. You see like some of the, the more classic type horror. What I mean by that is like the blood and, and, and gore and stuff like that. But there is a lot of psychological horror as well as some stuff that's like, huh, yeah, I guess you can count that as horror. So taking it a little bit different direction with that series and uh, hoping to get as many issues as I can with that. I have seven issues completely written. Um, two issues, the first two issues are completely done. I just got to do a Kickstarter for those. And issue three, the art is almost done for that. Um, and just keep working on that. I've, I've got other scripts and stories I'm working on, but the Gallows Man and Disney Avenue are the ones that are currently available or will be available really soon. So what is the, the holdup? So for me, like if you're doing traditional novel writing, it's step one, button seat and write the damn story. And then depending on how fast you are, sometimes the bottleneck can be the artwork or the the editing so what is it with with comics that that makes people produce so slow is it the funding for the art uh, is it the editing and layout is is it the ideas the market so what what sets the pace for you guys in all honesty this is just for me so so i'm a little it might be different for for each individual but for me it's mostly the when it comes to producing the comics and, and the rate of producing them uh art because art takes so much more time than writing the story like i i can punch out a pretty decent story um in not that much amount of time but with art it's a completely different beast entirely like it, it can take hours uh, uh if not like a whole day to get like a whole page done um and that's not that's not including like getting the page inked or getting the page colored uh, and then 
doing the lettering in the pages, like putting the word balloons and various stuff, um, as well as just then going through all that. That the editing part isn't that long or hard for me. Going through it and making sure it, it all fits and works, that's not too bad. But it just it takes a lot more time for the artist than me as the writer because there there's you you can't entirely rush the art too much um i mean you can you can tell the artist hey try to get like two pages done a week but like they they might not be able to do that in time or if you say hey i need them done by the end of the week these two pages it's going to be a little bit rushed so you want it to look the best it can look so you want to give that artist the amount of time that they need that makes sense so that um so that's what sets the pace for you guys for me at least for me it's ultimately i i want the artist to feel comfortable because i do pay my artists i hire them and i pay them a page rate but i understand like this isn't their main job me as an indie comic creator I'm not their main salary. I'm not their main income. So I completely understand that. They have to live. They, they, they have to live in, in an apartment or house or wherever they live. They have to make the money for that. They got to make the money to eat. So I, I understand and work with the artists because I understand I'm not the majority of their income that comes in. So, uh, you know, talking a little bit about business angle, because we're going to start talking about the Kickstarter in a minute. Why do you go like if you're you're prepaying, obviously. So why is it you use Kickstarter to fund it as opposed to just making it for sale right away? Is there a reason that you do that or is it just to build um, hype for it? Uh, a little bit of, of the hype part. It's to build hype for it as well as what I've seen with Kickstarter is, again, that building hype as well as it's it's a good way to get like a decent bit of initial readers to read it, like within a, a, a certain time span to read it. Cause for me, at least with my Kickstarters, it's not really to fund the art or anything. I, I do that out of pocket. I've saved up over the years to do that out of pocket. I have no problem with that. I, I purposely saved up so I could do that when I'm doing these Kickstarters, it's to get the book into the reader's hand to print the book, get it into the reader's hand. Um, so it ultimately comes down to just wanting to get it into as many hands as I can, and then eventually making it available to those that weren't able to back the project. So do you sell it like on, was it drive through comics? Are you selling it pre-made pre and then selling them on Amazon? Once it's out of Kickstarter, where do you sell your stuff? Do you sell it directly from your website? Well, currently, um, what I'm doing right now is strictly the Kickstarter for, for the Gallows Man, and, and it'll likely be that way for Disney Avenue as well. Is if you want a copy, you have to pledge to the Kickstarter. There's various reward tiers. I mean, they range from $1 to $70. There's a reward tier within everyone's budget. Um, but if you want to read the book, that's the avenue you have to go currently. Eventually, like the, the next part of how it will be available is when I start doing comic conventions, uh, 
in, in 2023 and further on. Obviously, the books will be available at those conventions. And then what I'll likely do is when a series is over, that's when I'll I'll put it on Amazon or, or put it here or put it there, make it more further distributed because I do want to focus on that initial hype and that initial backing of that Kickstarter um, to, to kind of get people excited. Uh, it's like a kind of an event coming up. It's like, oh, the next issue is coming up. Um, kind of build that hype a little bit towards it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, that all sounds fascinating, obviously. But uh, here today, we're going to talk about the Gallows Man comic, which is currently uh, on a Kickstarter. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea for what this comic became? Uh, there's a few inspirations. Uh, what what led me to write it was how I mentioned earlier, like, like really challenging myself. Um, but the inspirations for the book, there's inspirations from Golden Age comics, how this set in the 1940s, there's a lot of stuff that feels very Golden Age. Um, character's name being the Gallows Man, that seems like something very much from the Golden Age, where like, I mean, you you had superheroes at the time, not all of them, but you had superheroes that would kill people. Um, not saying that's good or bad or anything, but that's just how it was. Ultimately, I don't agree with the comics code at all, but I do get where they were coming from at the start. Ultimately, they went extremely too far, um, just because you had five-year-olds picking up a book of all this stuff happening which you needed parents to regulate, but there's some good parents, some parents that, that don't regulate as well. Uh, so a little bit of golden age influence there. There's also some silver age influence, some silver age comic influence where it was kind of fun. Silver age was just like a fun, goofy, campy time for comics, for most comics, especially if you read like the, the silver age Superman books and stuff like that. Uh, just a fun time. And that kind of leads into 1960s Adam West Batman show. It's that fun campiness from that very much resonates in the gallows man. Uh, the gallows man, he has his own Robin. Basically you have gallows man. His sidekick is noose boy. They have that, that kind of Batman Robin dynamic in a way. Um, and, and, that's where most of the influences come from. And then reaching into more modern day influences, how there's more, I won't say darker, I'll say more violent material out there, whether it's in comics or movies or however it may be taking a little bit of that and throwing it into this, this campy fun mix. Okay. That's a, that's a good way to do it. I like that. I like to look back at the, um, the where we came from because you know genres in all forms whether you're reading romance or I don't know sci-fi fantasy like we all stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before us right so, yeah yeah um, that is nothing new and it's it's nice to respect that and recognize where you came from so how do you define and maybe this will be if you think the answer is too long we can do another podcast where we dive into it and I'll make sure Nick's there for it because our yeah. co-host Nick Garber is a actual comic book creator as well. 
Um, but what, how do you define like the golden age and the silver age of comics? Golden age, most of the golden age is, is during kind of a dark time in the world in general. Uh, that's, that's where you have the world wars happening. Um, you, you had some like pulpy type comics here and there, but, but there was like some, some, some serious violent stuff that happened within comics. But as we were getting out of those world wars, I think audiences just needed something more lighter. They needed just like a breather, like, like they've been going through so much through these wars. Like let's have something more fun or, or just, just something escapism is ultimately what they were needing. They needed, escapism from this reality that they were facing and that's kind of when silver age started coming about was yeah let, let's now that we're edging out of the world wars let's have this more fun more more sometimes goofy adventures within our comics um and you definitely saw that ultimately because just kind of needed that escapism Escapism is good, but before we dive in now to the reason we brought you on the show, 45 minutes in, because we've been having so much fun, um, that uh, we're going to take a moment where we shamelessly shill for the man and we play this commercial. Well, hello, all you beautiful chicks and dudes of all sorts. This is Suave Rob Suarez, the bitchin' double X daredevil star of Suave Rob's amazing ass-saving association, here with another ass-saving tip, totally free from me to you to help you save your ass so you can live to sit another day. Now, back in the day when dudes were dudes, this one dude, Benchmark Bob, buddy of mine, he had this little accident. He tried frying up an egg when he was totally hammered, so he washed a pan, then didn't dry it, then put a shitload of butter in it, then turned on the heat. Well, when you do that, chicks and dudes, the water makes the oil go splatso all over your own personal face. And good old Benchmark got his bench marked, if you know what I mean. Like, when he took his apron away from his face, it looked less like a face and more like someone had stepped on a pepperoni pizza. I don't like to think about it. But that goes to show you, you know? Always dry your pans before you put oil in them, man. Especially if you're frying an egg. Want to know where I learned all this gonzo shit? I got it all done up pretty for you in Suave Rob's Double X Daring Do, the first book of Suave Rob's Awesome Adventures by J. Daniel Sawyer. Come share the awesomeness with me, my brothers, because you never know. The ass you save may be your own. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. But that was, um, that was, a, that was a funny one. Um, I thought because of the humor in yours that it would uh, it would fit that because I try to match the commercial where possible with the content. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that was perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'd almost rather listen to the audiobook of that because that uh, commercial guy reads the audiobook. Um, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, before we dig into that um, the story a minute, we're going to take a moment to share a little bit of the art from the covers, and you can tell us where. 
the uh, normally I do this in advance, but I forgot, so I'm gonna blame no, it's all good. Russia today, because um, why not? Uh, so this is the the comic as it's um, the episode, and this is obviously if you can see the play button, that's because I screen grabbed the video that they have the commercial. Uh, speaking of the commercial, when we air this, um, you'll be listening to this on Wednesday. I will also uh, upload the video that they have attached to the um, attached to the Kickstarter as like a 0.5 episode to match this number. So if you really want to see the commercial that uh, he makes an awesome commercial for it, we're gonna we're gonna have that there for you as well as, as it'll have links to the to the Kickstarter. But so what's the story with this art style? Because it's very whimsical. Yeah, yeah, and, and this this art style. It's close to the comic. I, I wanted Helen to, to do a little different for that, that initial uh, image for Kickstarter. But it this image right here is pretty fitting of the book. Um, I, I came up with, or I thought of the idea of having Gallows Man who's laying on this guillotine. He's laying like, like, like a schoolgirl who's like chatting on the phone. Like she's chatting with her friends on the phone. She's laying on the bed. She has one, one leg kicked up. I was like, that'd be funny to have Gallows Man do that. But he's laying on a guillotine because they're, uh, it, it, his name's Gallows Man. So, so it's, it's fitting for that. Um, and you have Newsboy who's right there. He has, he's holding the rope. He's looking all happy and stuff. And that's ultimately kind of the, the vibe you get from these characters is like amidst like this dark morbid stuff that can happen in the book. They're all just like, yeah, that, that was great. We stopped the bad guy. Like <laughs> they, they all have that within them. Um, and, and you see the, the blood on, on the blade of the guillotine as well as blood dripping from, from the guillotine and stuff, just kind of hinting at, uh, it's it's going to be more than just a bam pow punch we have our bam pow punches but a lot of times it's like what happens after the punch lands or what happens after the kick lands you see a guy got his neck broken or or his entrails are spilling out or whatever it may be so this this image kind of encapsulates the tone and the theme of the book I think fairly decently. So do you also have like an electro chairman or uh, <laughs> what a lethal injection man? Like since you're going with all the maybe. ways of execution. <laughs> yeah. Maybe eventually. Yeah. I'll do a, uh, I'll do a sequel series to where gallows man hops through time and has to face <laughs> all these people. He, he gets to the, the decade that lethal injection was introduced and yeah, that's a face uh lethal injection man <laughs> or he could like fight the drawing and quartering guy <laughs> yeah 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 that'd be perfect all right so before we move on to start talking about the story involved in this comic i'm going to switch the images so we have the cover for comic book one as it's shown on uh your kickstarter so this isn't art that's spoiler this is directly from the um from the kickstarter so is this is similar to the vibe? Is this closer to what you well, see in the comics? This this art style, no. This is actually it, it was a a cover artist I discovered. This is the issue two cover art. I, I discovered him and I got him to do 
uh, a variant cover for issue one, because this is the variant cover for issue two. And for for comic fans out there, he has a very cartoony, Scotty Young-esque art style. And it I thought it was perfect. And when I this happened first, when I came up with the whole gallows man laying on a, gu a guillotine and all that stuff, <clears throat> I got him to do this cover first. And then eventually we did that that Kickstarter image who the interior artist did did that little image of. Okay. And then I'm going to show, because we can, this is the number one issue, yeah. which the detail on this, and I'll go back through, you've got them hanging, looks like terrorists? Uh, ultimately, yeah. It, there's a Nazi cult that infiltrated their city. So, yeah, you could say terrorists. <laughs> So the art is, is I like the coloring. Uh, it works even if you're colorblind. So I dig that. The little reference to the 15 cents is pretty funny. Yeah, and the yeah. font is definitely lighthearted. And yeah, until I started yeah. writing, you never really realized what a difference typeset could make. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then we've got uh, a slightly darker version of comic book for cover two. Yeah, uh, the, the guy that did the previous cover, the one you just showed, he also did this cover. So uh, it, it's it's different, but I, I do really love it how the other one is so colorful. And this one, it, it's black and white. It's very fitting for the time of the 1940s, but also just that, that splash of red kind of hinting yeah. at some of the violence within the book. And then just because we're here, I'll show, you know, it's not as much fine detail because this is the older style comic book yeah, yeah. Uh, art. But, I mean, it's still a lot of detail in this image. Uh, and then even here on the one that's the video, you can see the grains in the wood and the screws for the, um, for the art. So because it's a comic book that's all about the pictures, we're going to leave this up while we talk. But now yeah. we're going to move on to the story itself. So what would your 30-second elevator pitch be for Gallows Man? Um, basically a little bit what I mentioned earlier. The 30-second pitch is basically you have golden age time superhero Gallows Man. And it's in the 1940s, and you have just this, this campy... Uh, and just satirically over the top world of these superheroes and him noose boy, uh, Bertwald, the Butler and, and Jamie, the billionaire philanthropist who backs all their superhero ventures. That team has to take out this Nazi threat that has came into their city. That's infiltrated their city. This Nazi cult that has basically went into the city. They have to take out that cult to save the city, to help save the city, but also to avenge Gallows Man's former mentor. And tonally, the, the quickest way to put it is 1960s Batman, Adam West, the fun campiness of that, and then just take something like a Tarantino movie and, and the violence that can happen within that and just mesh those together and you get the Gallows Man. I think that's a tonally the best way to kind of put this series. Okay. So what is it about the gallows man that makes your series special? 
ultimately, I, I think it's unique in I haven't really seen this much in comics. Uh, a, a couple of things. Like, I'm not trying to, like, toot my own horn or anything, but I haven't really seen that that fun campiness take of keeping up with, with the fun campiness and, and still having it be fun. And then, like, you throw in uh, uh, dashes of violence here and there. Like, like, I haven't seen, like, with 1960s Batman show, whenever they go to punch and it shows the big pow, you don't see the punch actually hit contact with the person and you don't entirely see much aftermath of that punch hitting contact with them. But with this, it's kind of a little bit different. You see the punch hit contact and you see the bam or the pow. And then you see like, Oh crap. They just kicked that guy into a, a, an umbrella sticking out of a dumpster and the guy's torso went through the umbrella. Uh, You see a little bit more, with that so so something i haven't really entirely seen plus nowadays at least in the mainstream market there's not a ton of adult dark comedy comics at least in the mainstream market you have to go to indies like not just the gallows man but you have to dig for indies and find indies to find something like that there are comedies within the mainstream market, but it's mostly all ages books. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's some funny books, but this more adult dark comedy stuff, like stuff I, I'm not going to show a, a five-year-old, uh, you don't really see that much nowadays. Okay, that's fair. And I, I should also, well, I, I should also mention with, with that, me saying uh, adult dark comedy, there's no suggestive things. There's no like sexual themes. There's no smoking, no drinking. There's no language in the book. Literally, the reason I say M for mature on the book is the violence and a little bit of the gore that happens within the book. That's kind of the main reason it's it's M for mature. Okay, so for M for mature, uh, normally we ask this towards the end as a reminder to parents because we do have some families that listen to these episodes, which is why we try to keep it family friendly. But yeah, yeah. what would you say the age range is for your for your work? For the gallows man, I would say uh, probably fifteen and up, because there is violence within it and like some amounts of gore, but I the art style isn't extremely realistic to where it, it feels like too much. It is, it is a little bit more cartoony, a little bit more comic book, old age comic book feel with it. So I'm not going to say like 18 and up, but uh, it's one of those things. If you got it for your teenager or your preteen, look through the book. The parent always knows best when it comes to their child because it's one of those things where this book or this movie uh could be fitting for this child because they're a little bit more uh uh, ready or mature than this child it ultimately just depends so it's one of those things where i i would encourage um if you're getting this for a preteen or a teen to read through it and then decide from there uh if you'll let them read it. It, it should be a, a parental decision, I think. 
That's fair. That's fair. So which tropes do you feel that Gallows Man hits the best? Um, kind of a lot of classic comic tropes. Uh, example of this is <laughs> you have you have this instance where he's waking up in bed and he wakes up and he's in his whitey tidies, but he still has the superhero mask on because ultimately who he truly is, is the gallows man, the superhero, but he has to get ready and go to work. He works at a funeral parlor, very fitting for gallows man works at a funeral parlor. So he has to get ready. He's got to take off the mask and all that stuff. And basically where, uh, uh, one of these tropes come from. Sorry, I got lost in my train of thought for a second. Um, I do it all the time. It's okay. The audience is usual. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where I'm trying to remember where I was going with this. I'm so sorry. Hold on. Let me flip through this real quick. It'll help jog my memory. So you're talking about tropes. He wakes up in his um, his briefs and his, oh, okay. his mask. Okay. Thank you. So so you you have the gallows man. Goofy, silly way of him waking up as a superhero. He takes off the mask. He's getting ready for work. And he's going to work. And it's not like a Batman, Bruce Wayne thing where Bruce Wayne, the character, acts very different than Batman to make it harder to piece together that those two are the same person. Um, Gallows Man acts exactly the same when he's not in costume. Like, same type of speech, same type of of uh, joyous uh, cadence. Um, he, and also a part of it, like a little thing, he rides his bike to work and his bicycle is the same color scheme as his costume. Um, and what I'm getting at with this trope is all the people around him, like his, his boss, Mr. Johnson, who's the funeral parlor director, no one pieces together that like, gallows man is this guy even though it seems fairly clear it kind of plays into the trope of the whole clark kent and superman thing where it's like oh yeah he he, he took off glasses yep that's a different guy but it, it's it's not to like bash on that or anything it's just a little fun funny thing making it a little bit more uh obvious with like the bicycle being the same color scheme and stuff um, but in the in this world, it's very fitting for no one to really piece that together. Um, that's one trope. Other tropes within this, uh, very much like comic tropes of of like you'll see the the classic bams, the classic pals within punches. Um, there, there's a lot of puns. Not, not a ton, and, and they're not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is here. But there, there'll be like some puns where it's like, Noose Boy, the the sidekick, he'll be like, wow, we just beat up those two guys, like like they they killed these two guys, and they're they're walking out of the warehouse that they killed them in, and he looks at Gallows Man and is like, hey Gallows Man, Gallows Man's like, yes, Noose Boy, Noose Boy's like, I bet Jackal and the Walrus. I bet they didn't, or, or hold on, let me actually just go to the page before I just butcher this. Let me see right here. Okay, so it says, hey, Gallows Man, yes, Noose Boy? I bet when Jackal asked Walrus to come hang out, 
this wasn't what they had in mind. Because <laughs> he they they hang him. Spoiler alert: uh, those two guys die by hanging. And you have Gallows Man being like, "Ha ha! It sure wasn't Noose Boy." And then the next panel, they're walking out the warehouse door, and there's all the dead, bloodied bodies in the background behind them. And they're both still with a smile on a face. And Gallows Man's like, it sure wasn't. And then just goes on from there. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, inspiration from, again, the Silver Age as well as like that that the golden age type stuff like there's a radio announcer within this like a 1940s radio radio announcer who uh hypes up the gallows man's like oh the gallows man and noose boy they they thwarted walrus and the jackal yet again ah oh, these great heroes of ours i'm glad they're stumping out the nazis and and then he even has like a, a, a sign off and stuff saying like uh uh this is the message I give each and every night here on Town City Broadcasting Network. Nazis, you scum, feel despair, for the gallows man is everywhere. Like, various stuff like that. Uh, there's, that's just the stuff I can think of. It, 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 it calls back to those classic eras as well as bringing in some of the modern stuff. Nothing wrong with that. So we've talked about the tropes. Now let's talk about sort of the subgenres of this. Well, before we do that, first off, the trope of not recognizing people when they take the glasses off. Having dealt with John Q. Public as a rent-a-cop, I realized for just how I, you know, over the summers while I was in college, people's situational awareness generally is crap, and they don't notice the world around them, and it's gotten worse since smartphones. So I used to laugh oh, at that yeah. too. Like, how do they not recognize that Superman? And then you realize nobody's paying attention to the world around them. Exactly. I'm like, oh. Now I know why they don't get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so they were ahead of their time figuring that out. But oh yeah. Um, so we've talked about the tropes, but what about subgenres? Uh, what do you think um, this this series fits into? Um. Ultimately, when it comes to various subgenres, it very much is like a classic action comic. It, it also is a dark comedy. Um, yeah, dark comedy is very fitting within it. Um, there is some horror elements within it. I, I mean, I, I, I can't say there isn't, I, I feel like, I feel like that. that was tied into it a little bit since I wrote a bunch of horror stuff before Gallows Man. This isn't a horror book, but there's, there's some horror elements within it, um, yeah, I think when it comes to subgenres, those are those are pretty much the main ones. Okay. All right. So if you hear the clackety of my type, and I'm sorry, I'm marketing which question no, you asked. So I don't repeat it. Um, <laughs> the normally docs in the comments reminded me, so it's not as obvious. <laughs> but uh, now into the story itself. So what can you tell us? You've given us a little bit of a hint about what to expect from Gallows Man. But can you elaborate a little bit without obviously going into spoiler territories? Because we want people to read the books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimately, to kind of dive you into issue one, um, you have Gallows Man, Newsboy, uh, uh, their team, and it opens on them going after this guy who seems associated with the Nazis. They don't know it at the time, but when they finally catch up to him, 
ultimately kill him. This is within the first few pages, so this isn't a big spoiler. Ultimately kill him. He has a swastika patch on his arm, and they're kind of realizing, at least Gallows Man is, that, oh, crap, this seems very familiar. Um, he goes back to their base, their their manor, which is called the, the guillotine or guillotine, and it has the big thing, meanwhile, at the guillotine, and shows them uh, uh, talking with Bertwald the butler and Jamie Oakley, who's their backer. And Gallows Man kind of brings up this whole uh, swastika patch that was being worn by this guy. And both him and Jamie kind of click and are like, you don't mean. And Gallows Man's like, yes, I'm afraid it is that. And it's kind of played for joke of like he's he's going into a monologue of being like, ah, this is taking me back to that night. And Newsboy's like, Gallows Man, are you okay? And he's like, yes that night and it starts transitioning into a flashback and newsboy's like uh gallows man and then you have the flashback of basically this big threat this this major villain called major swastika who over a year ago from this series gallows man and his mentor at the time gallows man in this flashback was a sidekick him and his mentor uh, are infiltrating this underground Nazi cult base and they stumble upon major swastika and his followers and stuff and things escalate while they're on that little mission. Um, and then from there getting out of the flashback, just gallows man wanting to find more leads, uh, on this guy to find more leads on Major Swastika because he realizes he's resurfaced because this villain, him and Newsboy fought earlier, has the Swastika patch. He resurfaced. we got to find more leads. we got to figure out where he is. And it's a little bit of a cat and mouse thing within that, but there's some humor within that. Um, and it leads further into issue one, and, and you see it continue in issue two. Okay, so is there any plans, and this is jumping ahead, but this guy is somewhat fascinating, but I don't know if it would translate. Is there any fans that plans to try to translate this universe also onto the written page, just like novels, short stories, screenplays? I Ultimately, I would say screenplay just because uh, it first started out as a screenplay, and then I, I edited and, and rewrote and converted into a comic. Um, it, it could easily be a screenplay. Like I could easily see this as a B movie, like, like a low budget B movie. Cause that's how I would like to see it. Um, oh, I love me some this. B movies. But yeah. yeah it, exactly. It'd be very fitting for this. Like get someone like, uh, I know it's, it seems a little in left field, Get someone like the guy who made the horror movie Psycho Gore Man. Like, get get that guy to make it. Or, or, or if you get an even bigger person, get someone like a Robert Rodriguez to to make it. Like, like those guys who can, especially Robert Rodriguez. He doesn't make B B movies, but he can delve into that territory and he's very good at it. Um, 
yeah, that or like seeing it as like a radio drama or like a, a an audio drama or something like that would be very fitting, especially for this story. And you've got the art already. You could almost arrange that already. Yeah. With just yeah. what you've got. Put yeah. that out there on like, you know, some teasers on YouTube and bit shoot and whatnot, podcast. Oh, yeah. And then like sell it. Like I could see that working. Oh yeah, I like the, the some of those audio dramas, like the the old um, um, radio hours that they used to do with that. I forget the name of that exactly. voice that they used to do back in the day on the radio. Um, you get some of the actors that could do that voice too. Listen here, exactly. see. And, and the oh, reason oh. they did that voice was because the radio uh, microphones weren't that good, so they had to do those voices so they could be understood, and it created an accent that for a while people had. That makes perfect sense. What's what's amazing with that is like, yeah, if I did that, I kind of already know who I'd want to do like uh like narrated and stuff, because there are some parts where it, it, it would be narrated. Uh the guy who did my Kickstarter trailers, both for this current Kickstarter and the last one, I found a guy on Fiverr that does the nineteen forties uh radio announcer guy. And so I, I can't do it justice, but it's like Ah, this is the first issue of the gallows. Like he he does that, but he does it so much better than I could ever do it. Yeah, like and, like and we're gonna him. link that, dear listener. We're gonna link that uh, on the yeah, yeah. the podcast. And if I think it'll translate with just the audio, I'll even upload it as a as a bonus episode for the for the audio only version as well because yeah, it's yeah. it's a funny commercial. Thank you. So so. The the way that if you, dear listener, if this sounds intriguing, uh, you're not really a comic book person, but you like the idea, uh, you could support as low as the $1 level, even if you don't really want the comic book to support the idea and support indie creators over there on the Kickstarter. Uh, and that could help show a level of interest if he wants to consider branching out to that radio drama, because I think oh, yeah. there's room for that. And as the economy gets tighter and the ability to pay $30 to see a two-hour movie in the theater is dying... Like some yeah. of those older styles of entertainment, I see making a comeback. Yeah. So yeah. and and I, that is ultimately the the more feasible and more like realistic thing for me to do. Like, yeah, I'd love to see it as, as this B movie, but like, if it if it gets adapted into any other form, I think radio drama one would be perfect. It'd be like the best quality for this story especially how it's written and and it's set in the 1940s so you're you're already going going well with that um as well as it, it just be uh uh in in like the more business aspect of it like more feasible for me to actually make is, is like a radio drama out of it yeah i could almost see these characters interacting with like a dick tracy under like some noir yeah. street lamp. Oh yeah. See here. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> like uh, it, it's it very much does call back to like that that classic sounding even like the classic like voices you hear like like Gallows Man. I always saw him as like having like a very very booming and and be well citizen. Have a good day. Like like he's he's very much like playing up the superhero uh mantra and stuff and then noose boy you have like this over the top basically like robin from uh uh 
the 1960s Batman show where it's like, golly gee, gallows, man, I can't believe like like there's so much that can go with that, I think. Okay, yeah. So you mentioned we talked about Gallows Man. Can you t- would you consider um, Noose Boy his sidekick a secondary character or another main character? Uh for this main series or, or for this mini series right here, he is a secondary character. It, it very much does follow the Gallows Man, but Noose Boy is in it a good bit. He 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 takes up uh, within the whole story, like all four issues, um, he takes up at least a third of page time, basically. Okay. So what can you tell us about Gallows Boy? Yeah. So, so with Noose Boy, my, my best way of kind of describing him is uh, he, he has that happy go lucky attitude with him. Like, like there's very much that Batman and Robin influence there. Uh, Noose Boy, it's classic Robin, classic Robin thinking. With Noose Boy, I've always seen him as like between 10 to 13 years old, not really sure if he's hit puberty yet, that sort of thing. Um, and with this, he has the executioner costume. So if you just saw like a little child in this executioner costume, you might be like, whoa, like a little bit like, oh, wow. But you'd also be like, oh, that's kind of cute in a morbid way. But then you see him kick into action with Gallows Man and he's kicking butt and like killing guys. And you're like, oh, my goodness, this this child is is a little bit scary, even though he's, he's kind of this adorable kid. OK, um, so were there any other secondary characters? Um that were memorable in this story? Uh, the other secondary characters that are pretty memorable, uh, the main villain, Major Swaska, uh, Bertwald the butler, who uh, gets them deli sandwiches as well as helps them uh, in various ways, uh, Jamie Oakley, who is like their billionaire philanthropist that backs them, um, and then you don't see him too much. So I don't know if you can entirely call this character secondary, but, uh, Gallows Man's dog, Hangmutt, who it's very similar to like Ace the Bat Hound. Uh, Hangmutt lives in Gallows Man's apartment with them. Gallows Man doesn't live in the big mansion with Jamie Oakley. He kind of lives in a, in eh, like, okay apartment, not on a good side of town, um, and his dog, Hang Mutt, sleeps on newspapers. And his dog wears the mask. He has, like, a, a cowl just like Gallows Man. And, uh, yeah, he, he poops on the newspapers and all that. Uh, so so I guess Hang Mutt would be another memorable character. You, you, see exactly. him, you see him some in the book. The reason I bring him up is I was talking with someone recently who really loved Hang Mutt. And I was like, oh... Okay, yeah, I guess Hangmutt is like kind of liked by fans, even though you only see him in, in a couple of issues. Is that based on your own pet or just you know a random trait insert? Ultimately, it, it's a it's a interesting little thing to insert. It, it's more based on uh, 
how superheroes like like the mainstream superheroes have like a pet equivalent like like superman's got crypto the super dog batman's got ace the bat hound that sort of thing okay um so were there um any other secondary characters or is that it i know obviously comics aren't as long as like a novel so there's not as room for as much those all are the major ones. There's some secondary villain characters now that I think about it. You have a, a character named the Walrus. Uh, you have a character named... Uh, you can't really say secondary. The first time you see him and the only time you see him is he's dead, hanging from uh, one of Gallows Man and Noose Boy's traps. Uh, his name was the Jackal. Um, you have a character named the Frog who wears like a... a frog costume that's very like dirty and and like it has some patchwork and it looks kind of gross and like his face is like shown in the mouth part of the mascot costume and he seems like a little bit shady character he's got like a, a one eye that's kind of twitchy um you have uh the rusty hook who is like kind of a homeless pirate themed villain um, there, there's, there's a few villains in, in one area called Farside Alley. It's where like a bunch of the homeless villains go to live. Um, cause they, they've got nowhere else to really go. Um, you have people like the frog. Uh, you also have hypno Ray, which is a guy who wears like these hypnotic glasses, like the ones you would get from classic comics. If you, if you, sent it off to the the address they tell you to and add like five dollars to that envelope or whatever they'll come back with some cheap made hypnotizing glasses or whatever <laughs> he's wearing those and he's wearing a tinfoil hat and uh he has uh hypnotic powers and gallows man goes over some of the the evil that he's done with that such as uh going into grocery stores and showing his coupon for canned yams, but the, the coupon was expired, but he hypnotized the person to make it think it's still in date. And this was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, such evil. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of most of the, the side characters there. So what about the main bad guy? What can you tell us about them without spoilers? Uh, without much spoilers so major swastika kind of best way to describe him is this nut that is obsessed with the swastika as an image this dumb symbol he's very much obsessed with it uh to where it's it's on his face um and when you're reading the book you'll notice his speech bubbles like his dialogue the words are spelt a little bit weird. There's a purpose for that. So you're reading it in a specific way. The best way to describe how he talks is <clears throat> he speaks English, but he has like that thick Nazi Germany accent, huh. but he has a Elmer Fudd speech impediment. So, so he'll, he'll like switch up words like, like wascally wabbit, like that sort of thing that Elmer Fudd had, like, like saying like complete we, like like changing out some of the the consonant words and it's sounding very much in that Elmer Fudd sense. 
Okay. So speaking of characters, you obviously do a lot. Well, all creators do a lot of horrible things to the people we write about. So um, after all the hell you've put Gallows Man and Noose Boy through, how do you think it would play out if they met you in a back alley and they knew you were Brandon, the creator of Disney Comics, who made their lives miserable? I think... Well, it's set in this world because I'm thinking about it now. Uh, I think Newsboy might be like, "All right, thanks." <laughs> like, even though like he shouldn't think that way, but in character he might be that way. Uh, Gallows Man would probably be a little bit upset with uh, some of the trauma he faces in issue one. Um, I think Gallows Man would very much do what he did to a mugger in issue two to me, which was I'm sitting on my stair stoop one day, just chilling. And then out of nowhere, a noose comes down and pulls me up by my neck and Gallows man is there and he ties it off on the little air conditioner unit on the roof. And he drops the noose. It's still tied to the air conditioner unit. And I go splat on the pavement. And then he slides down. He repels down on that noose and lands on my body. And a little bit of my blood gets on his boot. And he wipes the boot on the back of my shirt. And he's like, ew, disgusting. That would probably be what plays out for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. So uh, this is the part where we ask you to give us a sort of a peek behind the curtains and show us how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes? Or ideas that you had to cut from the final book that make uh, an interesting story? Ultimately, there were no major things. Nothing that that affected the narrative that were cut. Um, All of the interesting stuff that I put in, I was able to put in ultimately because I was writing it as a a screenplay at first. I was trying to get it it perfect for the, the way a movie is structured. Um, there, there wasn't anything crazy major that that's memorable to me that, that I had to cut because it ultimately is me publishing it through my own line. So I was able to put everything I wanted in it and still keep the pace and the narrative going well. Okay. So finally, what can you tell us about the universe writ large and many stories the world's where the story takes place is as much a character as the antagonist and protagonist. So can you give us a hint uh, about what we can expect from this world? Is it sort of grimdark like Gotham? Is it cheery like whatever the name of the city where Clark Kent lives in with just the occasional destruction? Like what can we expect from Gallows Man? When it comes to this world that he lives in, he, he lives in a, a city called Towns City. Um, Within the city, a lot of the people share this this classic way of thinking in comics of like, yeah, yeah, you did it. You had a triumphant victory against the bad guy. You beat him. Uh, when when I say you beat him, you killed him. Yeah. Um, and, and there's the extent with the Nazis where it's good, like get rid of the Nazis. But there's also it gets a little bit further back of like, yeah, you beat up that, that 
petty mugger yeah like uh everyone, <laughs> everyone kind of has that mentality of like yeah whatever superheroes do yeah they're great and, and it's no bash against superheroes i i just i just think it's it's kind of fun and, and adds to some of the humor within the book to kind of have this city that that shares that very classic comic book way of thinking within the world um, and when it comes to like future stuff with Gallows Man, like this is going to be a four issue miniseries, but there's always the potential. And I, I've been thinking about it lately, very hard of, of doing these. There's a percent, potential of a sequel miniseries um, that will be pretty wild. I, I won't go into too much with that. Uh, I still have to, to put it to paper. Um there's potential of that and something that will definitely happen will be like a anthology miniseries or at least like a one issue little comic one shot of basically like the gallows man tells from town city where it doesn't follow the gallows man it follows like some of these secondary characters like like little stories like like a uh five to 15 page story of a secondary character and seeing some of the the funny stuff or or stuff that they were doing during the gallows man or after the gallows man uh various stuff like have a story where it's just hang mutt and hang mutt's perspective uh have a story where major swastika his henchmen are trying to uh prep and prepare a birthday party for him, which is very stressful because he tends to like to kill his henchmen if they mess up, um, as well as uh, uh, like little little stuff with Noose Boy and, and just various little things like that. I, I I definitely will do that, and will likely do a sequel miniseries. So when you say anthology, are you talking about like a collection of sort of the Sunday comics type short comic strip vignettes? Or do you mean actual written stories like, you know, like you'd buy at a bookstore with like, you know, I want to say actual words, but you know what I mean? Like actual short story? Or are we talking um, comic book anthology? I've never heard that term used in yeah, reference yeah. to comics. Yeah, yeah. Comic book anthology where like... Uh... Let's say I only do one issue, like a one-shot comic. I only do one issue. I don't do any more issues after that. Let's say it's a, a 32-page or let's say 50-page comic. Get it get it as far as I can. I'd have like six or seven different stories within that, like each being its own story and each one following a different character or a different group of characters within the gallows man world that you saw in the mini series, but you didn't see too much of. And now you get to see a, a little, a little more with, or a different side with kind of seeing uh, what they're up to amidst this world kind of. So is there any plans to branch, uh, branch this out to like a uh, role play type setting? I could see this working for a tabletop sort of that campy RPG. I, I've never thought about that till now. And now I really like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have all the ideas. I can't make them stop. <laughs> so the gallows man is clearly part of a series. Um, and you've got two episodes out already. So is their story done there or is there more 
for these people, these characters? For these characters, no. They're uh, with this Kickstarter. There's issues one and two within it, but in total, with this mini series, not including the stuff I just mentioned, with this mini series, it's going to be a four issue mini series. But it's not your standard size comic. Like a standard size comic is 22 to 32 pages. And that's a little bit exaggeration because at least with mainstream, let's say it's a 22 page comic, four to five pages of that comic is ads. So when it comes to story, you're only getting like less than 20 pages. With The Gallows Man, at least with issues one and two and issues three and four will be pretty much the same length. Issue one is 56 pages in total and has 49 pages of story. Um, Issue two is the same way, 56 pages in total, 49 pages of story. And issues three and four will be very similar to that, likely reaching that same amount of pages. Uh, So basically where one issue of this comic is the length of two regular comics. So it's a four issue miniseries that's the length of like eight or nine comics. Okay. So we all know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. So what sort of tech and or magic can we expect from the Gallows Man? So it it, it is going to call back a little bit to 1940s um, to a degree. I've always liked the superheroes that have the gadgets and different stuff. Batman's the obvious one everyone thinks of, but so many heroes with gadgets and Noosboy and Gallows Man, they have their own gadgets. Uh, you see within at least the first issue, they use this thing called the Noose Trap uh, TM. They have a little trademark at, at the top of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they use this thing called the Noose Trap where basically someone steps on it. it, it it's like a pressure plate. It, it shuts down. And this noose reels down, basically, and, and snatches them up and hangs them. Um, you have that. You have uh, the noose reel that'll, that is in issue two. And also with that, you see gadgets malfunction sometimes. Like with that noose reel in issue two, like guy is getting pulled up by it, but it jams. And so the guy is pulled up like a few feet off the ground. And there's some other henchmen and guards coming around a corner. And Gallows Man's like, oh, crap, what do I do? I, I can't get him up. The, the, the noose reel's jammed. So he's like, okay, I know what to do. And he climbs up. They're in a shipping yard. He climbs up on the shipping container and starts marionetting the guy that was pulled by the noose. Like he, he puts two more nooses on his arms and starts marionetting this guy to get the guards to, to go away, basically. Um, and they're having a conversation with this dead body that's being marionetted by Gallows Man. Um, and they think none the wiser. It's just them talking to their buddy Owen, basically. Um, hmm. The vibes uh, of uh, Wilson the volleyball? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, there, there's some other gadgets you'll see. Some... Uh, some booby traps that that's leading into uh issue four there's a not to spoil too much but some home alone vibes in issue four 
Okay. So with the gadgets and such, are you uh, any plans for some actual physical merch besides just the standard like t-shirt coffee cup where you could actually sell some of those gadgets like you get <laughs> in the back of the comic books? Oh my gosh, that would be so great. You sparked an idea that I might jump on. I might at least jump on the Hypno Ray, that one villain. I might jump on like his get up. Like I might just like uh, make tinfoil hat and, and, and do the Hypno glasses and like have that as like a, 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 a tier or an add on in, in a future Kickstarter or something or, or like <laughs> take that to to shows or whatever. It's like, hey, so I went to like Raven. I went to Ravencon in 2016, which at the time was in Williamsburg. Now it's in Richmond, Virginia. And this lady was writing kids' books, but she was writing vampire kids' books, mm-hmm. uh, which I wouldn't. I mean, you know, I think of vampires as is dark, so you don't really think of them for kids. But I guess they Disneyify everything these days. Yeah. And so yeah. she had her husband carve wooden stakes that she could put on like keychains and earrings and just in, turn awful. them into pencils. And so I know, like, sometimes even just the stuff you do yourself could be even cooler. So I'm thinking, like, the way the old cheap toys were back in the day, it almost has more sort of kitsch effect to it if you did make it yourself instead of had something professionally. Yeah, like, yeah. the more duct tape, the more authentic it is to the yeah. times. Yeah, exactly. And, like, uh, yeah, that that that's so true. And, like, uh, I would eventually – one day like to to get like action figures of at least gallows man and Newsboy, and and they don't even have to be good action figures i would prefer them to be like the the classic not amazing action figures like i i know this wasn't 1940s but like the is it miko i can't remember it, it's like uh there there's some modern day action figures that are made this way but it's very like cheap looking it's like yeah i guess that's kind of that character say again you're talking about the funko pop no not funko pop it's a it's a specific action figure line where they're they're taking like all kinds of licenses and they'll they'll make an action figure of it and they're all in the same pose i guess kind of like funko pop how funko pops like all in same pose but they're all in the same pose and they can only like there's not much articulation with them um but people like it because it's that nostalgia. Um, I think that would be very fitting for something like the Gallows Man of having like cheap action figures or cheap looking action figures. Uh, Did you freeze or are you thinking? Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's bad weather, but maybe there's some far away. I'm not sure. All right. Sorry about that glitch real quick. If you saw the screen jump for a second, uh, if you're listening, nothing happened. There's nothing to see here. Move along. But you were telling us about some of your merch ideas and we got cut off and I'm not sure uh, what part of the merch ideas got cut off, but all of it is contagious and it always sounds like a lot of fun. And I have that problem too, because you see the big, uh, the big scale and everything about how if people would just fall in love with it, like you love it, you could make this thing and have the movies, the books, the games. All oh, the yeah. Yeah. I'm picturing that scene in Spaceballs where he's like opening the coat and it's like all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's but all right, off. so you, rather than beat that dead horse on account of I don't remember where it got cut off, um, <laughs> let's let's just move on. And yeah, uh, if yeah. you want merch, reach out to him because uh, he's he's all in for this gallows man. But oh, does yeah. your universe have any uh, aliens or fantastical creatures in it? I'll say this: in this miniseries. No, 
Um, not to say too much with the post credit scene in issue four or the possible sequel miniseries, but there's potential of various things. I'll say that. Much. Okay. So then let me word this question very delicately because, you know, I'm delicate <laughs> like a sledgehammer, dear listener. But so hypothetically, if you were yes. going to create aliens and or magical creatures, when and if you write them, maybe someday possibly, are there, would you think you would let yourself be inspired by your nightmares, mother nature, create something out of whole cloth? How do you think you would go about creating these uh, beings? Uh nightmares is a good place to start that's that's where uh at least a quarter of my like horror stories or like little horror images or ideas come from um nightmares uh again because it's a visual medium and i'm able to to see it better like a lot of movies um depicting those type of creatures and stuff uh, uh taking elements i like from it but also uh, uh trying to make it unique even with said elements um yeah i, I think uh a, a, a lot of different movies i think would would definitely draw into what i would want those to look like okay that's a good place to start um where were we all right so Clearly, the interview is winding down. We're a half hour, an hour and a half-ish into the show. Don't make me do the math. I don't remember how long we got to cut out, people. <laughs> so we're just going to go with it, ish. Ish is the great, you got hand wavium in science fiction that solves everything, just hand waviums. And when we're talking math and science, just ish or esque at the end of everything, it's just the yeah. great equalizer. And luckily, Doc's not here because she's an actual chemist, so her eye starts twitching when I say that. <laughs> uh, it gets it gets ugly, um, and then I get the the hate mail afterwards from her, where she sends me a mad flurry of texts. But uh, clearly, the interview is winding down. But before we wrap this up, was there anything about the Gallows Man comic book in the Kickstarter that you wanted to ask us, or that that you wanted to tell us that we didn't ask? Um, ultimately, I, I would say at least check out the Kickstarter page. Um, see if it's for you. Definitely play that. That, that trailer, if you haven't already watched it, um, it's on that Kickstarter page. Watch that trailer. It's very funny. Get a 1940s radio announcer to kind of narrate that. And I, I kind of play some joke into that of like when you hire a voice actor, at least with fiber, you, you pay them by the amount of words. And it's usually a set amount. So it's like every 50 words, every 100 words you pay them. Um, and I got this idea when I did the first Kickstarter a year ago for issue one. Uh, I, I paid him for a set amount and I only the script only went out to a certain amount. I still had like 60 to 70 words left to use. So I had the funny ad for the Kickstarter. And then after that, I just had him like break the fourth wall and be like, essentially like, ah, oh, I can't believe I had to do this. It, it's better written. I can't remember all of the ad because that was a year ago, but have him do that. And then just have him say the most random stuff because I still have right. those words. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to let them go to waste uh, to where I got with my buddy 
and I was like, what are some weird stuff, no language, but what are some weird stuff that you would like to hear a 1940s radio announcer say that likely has never been said by a 1940s radio announcer? So we got him to say stuff like, me, Mao, moo, Mao, I am a cow, as well as, uh, what are you talking about, Willis? Um, as well as uh, music peaked with the creation of ska, um, <laughs> various stuff like that. And that carries over into this trailer with this current Kickstarter. Um, get him to do the, the funny ad and then the last half, basically get him to break the fourth wall being like, oh my gosh, a second issue? I can't believe they had me reading for this book again. He's like, if only I could do voiceover work of stuff I yearn to say and do. Stuff like, yo mama so fat when she sits around the house, she sits around the house. And then get him to say like various other stuff. And then at the end, he's like, if only I could say all of those things. Only then would I finally reach Nirvana. And that's the end of the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you like, almost uh, need like... Uh, once you get your website up, luckily Book Funnel and there are other programs that let you do it where you can sell like audio and ebook content directly or PDFs oh, yeah. directly from your website. You almost need to sell like the ringtones of him saying those weird things. So when your phone rings, <laughs> yes, you're like, listen to this, see, you got a call, see? <laughs> that'd be so perfect. Yes. But uh, yeah, awesome. definitely, definitely check out those trailers. A, a lot of effort is put into those, even though they're like, ads i put ads in quotations for those that are, are just listening because like with any type of creative venture even if it's this little trailer I, I like to put as much effort into it as i can even if it costs like like i just like to it's a it's another piece of art for me like like my my book itself is like my baby and like my trailer is like a tinier baby or whatever um like, like I, I really enjoy doing those, and I, I want to keep doing those. But check that out. There's also, you can go through the Kickstarter page. There's seven preview pages of issue one. There's seven preview pages of issue two. So there's 14 preview pages, basically 14 comic pages. You can see the tone, the how the book is, the art within the book, within that. You get to see all the covers. Um and also include some other stuff, some background on, on the creative team and various stuff like that. You can check that out. Um, and if you liked all of that stuff, after you watch all that stuff and you're like, okay, this is the book for me. Like we talked about earlier, there are reward tiers for this Kickstarter ranging from $1 to $70. Uh, there's a reward tier for any budget because I know right now it, it's money's tight. It definitely is for me, at least. Uh, gas is super expensive. Uh, groceries are just going through the roof. Um, so I get it. So any little bit helps. Again, there's a, a, a tier for any budget ranging from $1 to $70. You can get both books digitally. That's almost a hundred pages of story as well as like some other behind the scene pages, almost a hundred pages of story just for $8 digitally. You can read it digitally just for $8 and then physical uh, copies of the book start at $10 and go up from there. 
Um, there's some catch-up reward tiers, so if you haven't read any of the Gallows Man yet and you want to jump into this, you want to read both issues one and two, there's reward tiers for you there. Uh, you can get signed copies of the book. You can get sticker sets for the book. Um, there, For even like the, the ultra collectors out there, there's the highest tier. It's a $70 tier. It's a, a metal variant cover of uh, a metal variant of the first issue the first issue cover and there's only going to be 25 of those ever made that tier also comes with more stuff than just that one cover it comes with a bunch of stuff but that's that's the main thing is that one copy there's not going to be made no more than 25 of those made ever i'm never going to reprint that or anything so it'll be the rarest issue of gallows man number one out there um so you can get that if, if you're a collector. Um, also, if you're a retailer, there's retailer bundles that are really good deals. You can get like 10 copies. You can get like five copies of issue one, five copies of issue two for 45 bucks. Um, the various stuff like that. There's there's a reward tier for anyone and there is a reward tier for anyone's budget. Um, at, at least I hope you at least check out the Kickstarter page. If you don't back it, um, I, I, I'm glad you at least gave it a chance by looking at those preview pages. Okay, that is fair. All right, this is the part of the interview, dear listener, where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your thing, people. This is a symbiotic relationship, content creator and content consumer. We write the thing, you buy the thing, review the thing, you tell us what you like about the thing, and we give you more of the things you like. So having said that, obviously, if they're getting this on Kickstarter, it's not like Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever, where there's an easy way to review it. How would someone review your product if they bought it from the Kickstarter? Yeah, so if, if they would like to review it, like... Uh... You can DM me if you want on, on Facebook or Instagram. I'm, I'm responsive on both. Instagram is a little bit easier, but I'm responsive on either. You can just uh, uh, DM Disney Comics. Tell me what you thought. Uh, you hated it. You liked it. You're in between on it. Wh whatever works. Uh, you can also, uh, uh, I guess that's the major way. You, you could also, I was going to say, you could make like a, a YouTube video or anything like that. You don't have oh, to do work. that. Yeah, yeah, or, that, that works. You don't have to do that, um, but you can do that. Um, yeah, there, there's various avenues to do that. Um, so I, I'm, one thing, I'm welcome to all, all reviews. So one thing to remember, dear listeners, it's always great to tell the creator what you think, and he's willing to hear it. So great, you know, if you want to do that. But largely the, the reviews are about readers telling other readers what they didn't like and what they liked. So reviews tend to be of, by, and for readers. So what I was hoping for was there was like some sort of universal place, like a Goodreads for comics or something, where you oh, could say, yeah. hey, review my product here. So people who you know are looking for the next big thing can see if it's their next big thing. But I don't know if there's as much of that. So if you're a comic book aficionado, and you don't laugh at the way I pronounce things, okay, people, I'm hard of hearing. But um, if that's your jam, like maybe it's time that you start you know, doing the reviews, maybe you do a YouTube channel or you have a, well, I don't know how you would review comics if you can't see the pictures, but like start looking at how you can branch out. And the benefit of that is, is because I've done some reviews on my website. When you do those reviews, people start wanting to give you free stuff. So you'll review theirs too. So there's a, you know, it's a, it's a win-win sometimes. 
Oh yeah. But uh, but yeah. So do your thing, people. Do your part, and it really does help, and it's really appreciated. Uh, which is why we mention it every time because it, it does sort of tweak the algorithms and do all the things to help the authors get their product out there. So, having harped on that enough, I don't want to beat a dead horse more than I have to. Brandon, can you tell listeners how they can find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs? Yeah, so uh, major places to find me on Facebook and Instagram. Maybe eventually I'll get a Twitter. I've had a few people the past couple weeks be like, "You should get a Twitter." As as, as a as a writer, I think it'd be good. They they would say that. So maybe eventually I'll get that. As of now, though, Facebook and Instagram, Disney Comics as D I S M A Y Comics. Uh, you can follow along with the the comics I'm making, such as The Gallows Man, Disney Avenue, as well as uh, future comics. Because sometimes I'll post like, "Yes, I finally." finish the script of this issue of a comic that I'm doing. Now I can finally jump into issue two. So, so various stuff like that. Okay. And that, uh, that sounds awesome. And we'll have all of those links in the Kickstarter. Um, when or in the Kickstarter, <laughs> we'll have all those links, including the Kickstarter in the show notes, dear listener, you can find us on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Doc Sesco would love to hear from you. So be nice when you email her or she will cut you. Um, we have the Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen. Facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash uh, groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We have the website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tag blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. Uh, you do help keep the lights on when you do that. It's greatly appreciated. You could also support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I promise I will keep Doc Saska and Nick Garber uh, duly inundated with comics and uh, books from our favorite indie creators and not so indie creators. Uh, they will read until their eyeballs explode if you just do your part, people. And then maybe we'll come back and we'll do a review episode on it because those are always fun to do. Although pinning everyone down can sometimes be a chore. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Handley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And hey, Welcome, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and all the other holidays that I don't remember, because you're getting a bonus episode this week. Peace! <laughs>